The following conversation with Tim Palmer, author of Wild and Scenic Rivers, An American Legacy, and Gail Snyder, Executive Director of the Coalition for the Deschutes, originally aired April 13, 2018, on the Radical Songbook on KPOV 88.9 FM, High Desert Community Radio in Bend, Oregon. The Radical Songbook is hosted by Michael Funky. It is a two-hour show highlighting the role that music plays in social justice and protest, and it airs Fridays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. I have some guests here in the house with me. Tim, are you there? I am here, Michael. Thank you. All right, great. That's Tim Palmer. And where are you, Tim? I'm in Port Orford at my home on the south coast of Oregon. All right. But I'm coming to Bend. I know, and we'll get to that shortly. And we also have here in the studio with me is uh, Gail Snyder. Hi, Gail. Hi, how are you doing? I'm good. Gail is the uh, director and co-founder of um, the Coalition for the Deschutes. So, um, Tim, how much time do you have for this? Uh, uh, You mean in Bend? No, I mean right now. (laughs) <laughs> oh, right. Oh, I'm good. I can talk for hours about <laughs> okay. wild and scenic well, rivers. How many do you have? Well, we're not going to do we're not going to do that because uh, at a certain point, I got to get off the air. So we'll see how it goes. I just wanted to make sure that we had enough time. No, so, no I'm good. I'm in. Okay, great. So uh, I'm just going to start out with a little introduction here, and then we'll get into uh, the conversation. And most of this information comes from uh, information that Gail. Uh, was kind enough to to send along to me. Um, it ha- it was 30 years ago in 1988 that the Upper Deschutes River was officially designated as a wild and scenic river. And if you've lived here for any length of time, listeners, you know, or you've spent any time hiking along the river upstream from Bend, you might take that wild and scenic nature of the Deschutes somewhat for granted. But it is worth noting that the nation's, uh, you know, that of a total of 3.6 million miles of streams in the U.S., Uh, Less than 13,000 miles are actually protected by the Wild and Scenic Rivers Act, and that's less than one-half of 1%. So in that sense, we're very fortunate uh, that we have that protection on our our own Deschutes River. Here in Oregon, uh, close to 111,000 miles of streams. Uh, and less than 2,000 miles of them are designated as wild and scenic, which is roughly 2%. So the Deschutes is the fourth largest river in the nation in terms of total miles, 170 miles, that is protected as wild and scenic, and it is the eighth largest in total miles in a single watershed, 350 miles, including tributaries. So what exactly does wild and scenic mean, and what is the National Wild and Scenic Rivers Act? Well, on today's show, we have two guests who can answer those and other questions about the Deschutes and Oregon's other wild and scenic rivers. As you heard, we have Tim Palmer on the phone from Port Orford. He's a photographer and author of his latest book is Wild and Scenic Rivers, an American Legacy, published last year by the Oregon State University Press. And Gail Snyder, as I said, is here in the studio with me. Gail is executive director and co-founder of the Coalition for the Deschutes, the local organization charged with protecting the river that flows south out of Little Lava Lake, turns east through two man-made reservoirs, and then winds its way north through downtown Bend and on to the Columbia River. Tim and Gail have both been guests on KPOV before. I think you've been on before, right, Gail? Yes, I have. Yeah. yeah. And Tim, I think you were on uh, The Point with Catherine Wood, my wife and I, a few years ago. That's 
right, with an earlier book called Rivers of Oregon. Right, yeah. So Tim is the author and photographer of 26 books about rivers, the environment, and adventure travel. Catherine and I have a copy of that book, Rivers of Oregon, and I was looking at it again um, as I was preparing for this show. And, uh, yeah, it's just, your photography is truly incredible, Tim. So, Thank and you're going to be presenting a slideshow on Wild and Scenic Rivers Monday, April 23rd at Ten Barrel Brewing Company uh, out on 18th Street, 62950 Northeast 18th Street on Ben's east side, obviously. Doors at 630, and the event begins at 7. Gail, where where on Northeast 18th is that? What's what's across straight? So here's how you get there. Um, you call my husband. You say, Sid, can you pick me up? And then he drives you there. <laughs> short okay, of that. I have his number. <laughs> short of that, um, you look on Google Maps or you go online. We really need people to register for this event. It's going to fill out. So please go to our website, coalitionforthedeschutes.org. Um, you'll find all the information and please register and there's a map there okay so there's a map online at coalition for the Deschutes dot org. org correct all right so again as I said welcome to both of you so Tim I want to start with you if I could sure I understand that you'll be showing some slides and photos you've taken uh, and and you'll be talking about the National Wild and Scenic Rivers Act which is also has an anniversary it's 50 years old uh, this year, correct? That's right. And so you've been an advocate of wild and scenic rivers for about as long as this law has been around. Is that correct? That's right. I got involved just a couple of years after the act was passed. I I was at the time a student in landscape architecture at Penn State University. At Penn State? Yeah, okay. yeah, and nearby there was, we had one of the uh, initial 27 rivers to be studied for a wild and scenic river system, to be studied as an addition to the program. What river was that? Pardon me? What river was that? Oh, that was Pine Creek, a tributary to the west branch of the Susquehanna. Okay. But that got me hooked on rivers and canoeing and just all the life of rivers, and I went on to have a a career in land use planning, and then uh, while I was doing that, I developed a real passion for uh, writing and photography and, and rivers and ended up uh, retiring from that job to write about rivers and conservation issues and adventure travel full-time. So were you involved in the camp- local campaign in Pennsylvania to, to have Pine Creek designated as a wild and scenic river? Yes, yes, I was, yes as both a, a citizen activist and as a planner, we ultimately ended up putting it only in a state scenic river system, uh, which was not quite as good. In Oregon, we also have a state scenic river program. One of the big differences here, and one of the reasons why getting the... This is actually very poignant to the, to the Deschutes. National designation protects the river from dams or any federal permits that would result in any kind of damage to the river. And this is really relevant to the disputes because back in the 60s, when Round Butte Dam was first proposed by Portland General Electric downstream, the state opposed it because of the impacts that our state fisheries biologists knew it would have on the salmon and the steelhead and the bull trout. And... uh, 
And they lost that battle because it went to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court in the late 60s ruled that the state protection could not override an action of the Federal Power Commission. This is now the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. So it's a very clear example of why why federal protection is needed for a stream like the Deschutes. Yeah, I was totally unaware of that. I, I, I lived here in Oregon in the, in the early 60s, and I can remember when there was conversation. I lived in Portland at the time, and I remember hearing a conversation about you know, the building of a dam and, and, and creating a lake over here, but I never visited and didn't really know that that sort of history. So so that gives us a little sense of what you said, the dams. And so tell us a little bit more about what it actually means. When we talk about protecting our rivers, what does that mean? What does the law protect wild rivers for and yeah. from? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's important to understand the context here. At the time, we were building dams everywhere in America. There were uh, there were seventy thousand built and ten thousand more proposed. Excuse me, and uh, so in with that background, a few conservationists realized that unless we had a special program to, to safeguard our rivers, we'd just end up losing them all to what had then become unnecessary reservoirs and dams. So the first thing it does is ban those. It all, but it does much more. It also requires the federal managing agencies, and one is identified for each designated river. It requires them to prepare a management plan for the river with local cooperation of local governments and citizens. And that plan's purpose is to address how to protect what the Act calls outstanding qualities of the river. Those can be fish, wildlife, scenery, geology, history, culture, archaeology, and, and others. So a plan is prepared with a, with a strategy for, to protect those things. And for example, it's very important to zone, zone floodplains so they are not overdeveloped. The federal government cannot do that. The federal government cannot regulate local land use. Only local governments can do that. And so a critical part of management plans typically is to engage local governments so that they take the the action that's needed to effectively manage the floodplains on, of private land along the rivers. So that's just one example of something that a management plan would address. So I guess in a nutshell, it stops dams and federal projects it encourages good management by federal agencies, whether it's federal land along the river, and the Deschutes has a lot of that, and it requires a management plan to address how to protect other values of the river. How did it come about that? And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I read somewhere where there were three different sections of the Deschutes that are... Yes. Uh, and so how, how, did that, how did that come about for the Deschutes 30 years ago? Well, the, the, the Deschutes is a remarkable case, and in, in, in the, uh, the entire amendment in which it was included in 1988 is remarkable. At the time, there were very few Oregon rivers in the program, even though we have more great wild and scenic rivers than, than any state. But all we had was the Rogue and the Illinois, and uh, conservationists in Oregon... Uh, 
looked at the rivers across the state, and they considered the planning work that had been done by the Forest Service and the BLM, who were required to consider wild and scenic river eligibility as part of their normal planning programs. And they found that a lot of rivers were eligible for wild and scenic status under the national program. They sorted through those. They enlisted Senator Mark Hatfield, who was a giant in the political scene at the time, and uh, got him to support this approach. Senator Hatfield uh, he had spent a whole career supporting the big timber industry of Oregon, and he, he kind of wanted a legacy of conservation as well. So our river conservationists appealed to that. Mark Hatfield was on board. They analyzed these federal land management plans, came up with a long list of rivers that would be uh, good to add to the program. They sifted that down through political compromising and came up with 53 new rivers and tributary designations in 1988, including the Jutes, all three of those sections. It was the biggest addition to the National Rivers Program in history and, and remains so. And what are the three sections? Where are they, just roughly, for our listeners? Well, so the that- upper river below Wikiup Dam, mm-hmm. and then a middle section above Round Butte Dam and, and Billy Chinook Reservoir, and then the, the really classic one, and this is what most people across the country think of when you say Deschutes, the lower canyons from Warm Springs down to the Columbia, 98 miles of fabulous free-flowing river through the, uh, those basalt canyons down there. So those are the three sections. It's not continuous. That would be very nice. But it's not continuous because there are a couple of dams in between. And, of course, there's the city of Bend, and there are all those agricultural diversions in the Middle River. All of these things create... Uh, create impacts or compromises to river quality that made those sections ineligible at the time. How many dams are on the Deschutes right now? Oh, Gail, can you help me on that? Oh, gosh. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight at least. And eight? 23 bit bridges. Um, <laughs> eight yeah. dams. Yeah. And, but back in the 80s, there were plans for an, another, an additional... There were going to be f- 15 or 16 dams um, built for hydropower uh, immediately um, downstream, um, uh, sorry, upstream, so south. Um, so between Bend and Pringle Falls, there are plans to put in hydro dams. So that means Dillon Falls, Lava Island Falls, uh, Benham Falls. Um, they would all be dammed now if that had gone forward, that plan had yes, gone forward. Yes, very good point, Gail. That, w- that was one big reason that this designation was so consequential in uh, to the Deschutes, to Oregon, and to Wild and Scenic Rivers nationwide. So, so how did it come about? What, what kind of? I mean, I'm I'm just going to assume that there there needed to be a certain amount of community mobilization uh, of uh, people of interest to to prevent uh, those dams from being built and to create the and and to make the Deschutes uh, the Wild and Scenic River. Uh, were you part of that? You know, I was not around then. Uh, Michael, the, uh, but, but my take on, on the history of this is that there was tremendous support to, uh, to prevent those hydro dams that Gail mentioned from being built, because, I mean, that whole section would be, have been flooded and dewatered and be nothing like this fabulous river corridor we have now running down into Bend. 
and that, um, you know, the lower river and upper river are tremendous fisheries. There was support in that regard. And, of course, it's a great whitewater run. Right. So, uh, you know, what I gather from the history on this is that there was terrific public support for this designation. Gail, do you have a Yeah, I'm going to chime in. Yes. And so I was not here either. Um, however, certainly there are folks in Bend today who were very actively engaged, and it was absolutely the engagement of um, uh, the community, broad community support. So from businesses, outdoor recreation, um, local government support, um, came together and that was how they um, stopped the dams um, from being built because the the FERC, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, was just going to rubber stamp these dams. So had people not stood up in opposition to them, um, well, we would know what the river would look like today. It'd have a series of dams. Um, and I'm going to just, since you've brought up the management plan, I have in front of me the Upper Deschutes Wild and Scenic River and State Scenic Waterway Comprehensive Management Plan. This is the plan that Tim was referring to for the Upper Deschutes. It was... Um, Finalized in 1996, it was a result of many, many years of work um, with broad stakeholder participation. There were 17 signatories to the final plan. So in this case, the U.S. Forest Service, the Deschutes National Forest, is the agency that is charged with um, managing this plan. They're the lead agency. But it required 17 uh, entities to sign off. So very complex. And when, in the case of the Upper Deschutes, and Tim, you can tell me if this is always the case with Wild and Scenic Rivers. Um, the plan looked at the river and designated as Wild and Scenic in the condition that it was at the time and continues to be. And so that is a a river, Upper Deschutes River, that is very, very managed. The flows are managed out of, of the dams, and especially um, Wikiup Dam, Wikiup Reservoir. And so the flows are highly altered, but the management plan, the comprehensive management plan, was put in place with the understanding that that was the status quo. One of the things that the Wild and Scenic Rivers, and, and Tim chime in here, um, the Wild and Scenic River Act and um, the program does is encourage the enhancement of rivers and so of designated rivers. And so I would say that's where we've been since 1996 with the Upper Deschutes, waiting for our river to be restored. And I think we're, we're at a critical point today in that regard. Yeah, I think you've, you've nailed it there, Gail. The, the designation was based on the conditions at the time, but the Act does encourage restoration. And uh, so now I think we're clearly looking at, at the, the needs and the opportunities in that restoration mode. And uh, but some of some of the area above the uh, if I'm right correct on this and correct me if I'm wrong but some of the area that's been designated wild and scenic above Bend mm-hmm. still suffers when when uh, not enough water is released from Wikiup Dam at the right times as we know there's a there's been the last three or four years uh, I think it was your 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 co your co-founder yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. of the coalition of the Deschutes who first sort of mobilized people. I remember going to a a meeting for a first time I had ever gone to a political meeting of a bunch of fly fishers, <laughs> you know, talking about this issue. Right, it's pretty remarkable. Um, yeah, and um, so it's absolutely true that uh, we have a very unhealthy river, and this is 
it's acknowledged in the comprehensive management plan. This has been seventy years of um, very uh, of altered flows. Um, the plan also talks about fish being stranded uh, when the flows are lowered um, in October. Um, and I just want to read you uh, one of the the. Uh, lines here from from the plan. It's about the resource goals, and those are the the um, the goals that speak to the particular values for which the Upper Deschutes was designated wild and scenic. And one of those is a scenic value. And this plan says um, it's talking about how we can protect and enhance the river. And it says we can enhance the scenic value by changing the character of the wintry scene to reduce the impression that the tide has gone out. And to me, that is a, a, just a very nice way to describe what is a really tragic situation. I want to follow that thought with um, where we are today, really working hard, looking for solutions. Earlier, um, Michael, you, you said that the coalition for the Deschutes was charged with protecting the Upper River, and I would like to say that um, you know, we have a role to play. Our our mission is to um, return the wild to the Upper Deschutes River so that families, fish, and farms can thrive. Um, so, and our tagline is "We speak for the river." So, we play that role. But I want to just be sure to say that there are many, many organizations, agencies, individuals who are passionate um, about restoring our river. And they include today um, irrigation districts. I have to mention the Deschutes River Conservancy, the Upper Sheds Watershed Council, the Sierra Club. Um, the, the list is broad of, and then I won't name individuals, but just suffice to say that there is keen desire to restore our river. And and these are groups that um, have sometimes different uh, interests in the river. And so, I mean, it's a, it's a challenge, it seems to me. I mean, from what I understand, it's a real challenge to really pull all these groups together. And I really uh, applaud the Coalition for the Deschutes for working to do that, um, oh, we, we I, have to acknowledge uh, everybody that's involved in this if there's going to be a, uh, an equitable solution, seems to me. I think it's critically important that, one, that I acknowledge our other partners, but also that we broaden our perspective on, on, on the Deschutes River and Central Oregon. For me... I mean, the river is greater than just water flowing through a, a channel. It's the broader um, ecological community, our environment, um, but it's also our culture, our human community as well. There's a lot of history here. Um, I, For me personally, I think environmental issues are also social justice issues. And so as we think about um, restoring the Deschutes, there are all these factors that come into play and you tug one and you move another and so it is phenomenally complex um, and it's true that different entities have different interests different missions but we have so much overlap now we have enough common ground that we really need to pull together um, in the same direction for the benefit of the river for the benefit of our community so, um, what are some of the solutions that you see? That, 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 what, you know. So, here's the challenge we're talking about restoring yeah. the upper Deschutes. First of all, 
Many people don't know that the river's unhealthy. It looks pretty as it flows through Bend and the upper river where people like to go and play in the summer months. Um, so that's the first challenge is, is letting people know that actually our river is it's dying. And I'm going to quote a general manager of one of the irrigation districts trying to make the point um, uh, for why we need to work with, uh, uh, do these irrigation projects. His words were, our river is dying. So we're hearing this from the irrigation districts. There's no denying this. And when um, we talk about irrigation districts, just so def- define that for our listeners. Mm, so that's a really good point. I didn't mean to interrupt. But oh, it's, no, mm-hmm. it's a really good point because um, – you know, I learned about um, water, um, water law, and when I was in school, and it was interesting. And then we lived in, so we lived in Colorado, and then we lived in the Willamette Valley, and it's not as as critical an issue there. When we moved to Bend five and a half years ago, and I heard about irrigation districts, I'm a little bit embarrassed to admit this now, but I thought, oh, that's quaint, and <laughs> damn, was I so very wrong. So. Irrigation districts are um, are a product of the U.S. government a hundred years ago saying, come on, folks, come settle the West, and we're going to give you land, and we're going to give you water. And the irrigation districts, they were mostly private businesses at the time, and this is true in Central Oregon. They were formed to divert the water for agriculture to serve homesteaders. And today, they're now a quasi-municipal entities, um, so that means they are defined by state legislature. And an irrigation district is responsible for delivering water to their, their customers or their patrons. Okay. So we're going to take a quick break here, and then I want to get back to whatever it was I interrupted you for. That you you can think get, I remember? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Me, I'm, yeah. So, But we got to take a quick break here. Uh, you are listening to the Radical Songbook. I'm your host, Michael Funky, and I'm talking with Tim Palmer, who will be here in Bend, and we'll get back to that uh, on April 23rd. He's the author of a new book, uh, Wild and Scenic Rivers. Uh, what's the name of that book? I can't find it right in front of me, Tim. You're on the right track, Michael. Wild and Scenic Rivers and American Legacy. Right on. Gail Snyder is here from the Coalition for the Deschutes. How are we going to get to restoring our river? And right. I was starting to say, well, first of all, people have to know that our river needs restoring. But when you enter into Waterworld, you realize pretty quickly that, doggone it, we can't restore the upper Deschutes until we've returned the river's flows to a more normal you know, what, what it had been before the dams and before the diversions. The Deschutes River, and Tom, um, Tim, I'm going to invite you to jump in here. It's an extraordinary river. I mean, it, it was called the Peculiar River. Um, Tim, do you want to jump in and talk about the amazing Deschutes River? Well, yeah, I mean, you're, you're right. It was, it's, it's just one of the West remarkable rivers, you know, from the, from the headwaters down through the lower canyons. And, and it's got this fabulous component of native fish life that are still there, and they're heavily impacted and depleted from what they were. You know, we have salmon and steelhead and, and native trout. And, uh, you know, there are just very few rivers that have this, this combination of qualities. It's the largest river on the east side of, of Oregon next to the Snake and the Columbia at our borders. And, uh, you know, so it's, it's just this fabulous resource. And so um, what gave it 
these incredible qualities is this river, this huge Deschutes River, is spring-fed. So the snow that you like to ski on at Mount Bachelor, um, that notice that there are no streams running off Mount Bachelor. And that's really pretty odd for a snow on a mountain. And so that snow is percolating into the ground and feeding this massive aquifer, which in turn is feeding our Central Oregon rivers, including um, the Metolius, Waichus, and so it's called Recharge. So we have this huge spring-fed Deschutes River, and as a consequence, those, the flows in the river are stable or were stable all year round. Most rivers will have low flow times, and they'll have peak flow, and they'll flood, and then they'll you know, have little water in them. That's not true of the Deschutes. It was, it's truly remarkable. So that's the condition we need to restore for the Deschutes, the upper Deschutes River. But like I was saying, when you start getting involved, you realize that, hmm, you know, if we're going to be able to, uh, for me personally, I want to take my grandkids and plant willows on the upper Deschutes and see our river be healthy again. But you th- now you realize that, gosh, um, we're not going to be able to accomplish these stable, restored flows until we work with irrigation and ensure that our, the farmers around in the Madras area and, and other farmers in uh, Terrebon area and the, all of Central Oregon here have water for their crops. Um, what's really cool and the great opportunity here is this basin, this watershed, it does have a lot of water. And so if we can manage the deliveries to the irrigation districts and to farmers um, more effectively, then we have an opportunity to leave a lot of water in the river. It, it's, it gets complex from there, but that's the opportunity before us. Yeah, let me just reinforce, if I might hear, Gail. The, uh, your point about the steady hydrograph, if you go to the upper Metolius above Billy Chinook Reservoir, you get to see a little hint of what the upper Deschutes once was. I mean, the upper Metolius is magnificent. It's got one of the steadiest hydrographs known, meaning that the, the level fluctuates very, very little throughout the year. So Tim, are, the, are you uh, speaking about a, above Camp Sherman? That, yeah, and below, but down to the backwaters of Billy Chinook Reservoir. Okay, thanks. Okay. And, uh, you know, that's a very rare situation. It's because of the, the lava landscape and the snow melt combined. And uh, that, that kind of gives you a little picture of what we once had on the upper Deschutes, where now these, the flows are depleted, as Gail said. You know, the, the, the hydrograph's been turned on its head. And instead of having large winter flows, they're now way reduced because of the water's being held back in the dams and uh, higher summer flows because they're being released for irrigation withdrawal later downriver. So that that gives us just a a hint of what once was. And I'd also like to just kind of uh, reinforce what Gail has said here in that on the Deschutes, we, we actually have what can be a hopeful situation. Many of the rivers in the West, and especially if you look to areas like California, which are so uh, much more heavily stressed, there's very few opportunities to, to correct the damage that has been done. But we do have that opportunity here in the Deschutes because there is a lot of water. We have this great natural system of storage and release. 
we have uh, you know committed groups. We have we have uh, participants from all sides who are willing to look at the problems and hopefully to negotiate. And uh, you know that too is a fairly rare situation across the West. Oh, I'm just. Um, um, <laughs> So this is actually a very emotional um, thing for me to be working in. I mean, I'm coming from this as a, um, in my heart, as a, you know, I'm just call myself an environmentalist. I and mean, I feel passionate about this. And, um, you know, as I've, as I've learned more and been Im- immersed, so to speak, in Deschutes River issues, you know, I just have come to a, a deeper understanding and see that, we absolutely have to work together with uh, irrigation, and that's where the water's going. And we're so fortunate that we have partners in the irrigation world who are saying, yeah, we need to do this together, and are working so hard to do that. And to be honest, you know, I'm, I get criticized in the environmental community now um, for, for you know, collaboration, and um, sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes collaboration um, is a, it's a, not the optimal path to go down. But, you know, I would say that in this watershed, um, me. there's been change just in the few years that I have been very deeply involved. And I see the, the earnest desire um, to solve these problems. We have like I said before, you know, in, in some ways, you know, I'm coming as a river advocate and I care about our community. And those two are so important to me. Um, and, you know, so for an irrigation district manager, they are by th- their job description and by law, their their mission, their job is to serve their patrons. But we have this just so much overlap now in uh, our deep concern for how we're going to solve these problems and and solve them together. And I I don't see any viable path forward um, that isn't us um, working together. Um, I think the alternative, if we're not working together, then we really risk reinforcing the status quo, which is not where we want to be or making it worse and just pushing um, parties back into their corners. And, you know, especially now with uh, a very divided country, personally, I want to be working for um, bringing us together, meeting our neighbors, trying to understand each other and and, um, seeing that we don't have to agree. We won't agree in everything, but we have so much common ground, literally. and our community matters. Well, I think, you know, in the three or four years that, I mean, I've, I've been on various stretches of the, of the Deschutes fly fishing from way up in Little, I, I once got almost got sucked into the river while I was in my float tube in Little Lava Lake because I paddled in a little bit too far and I would have ended up, I don't know where. But I've fished the river a lot and yet I was pretty, I have to confess, I, until 
until Kim, uh, until that the story surfaced in the mm-hmm. local media mm-hmm. about these fish that were being stranded, I just hadn't been on that part of the river and I hadn't seen it. And 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 I guess what I've seen is that since then, when there were this literally literally emergency bucket brigades of people going down to the river mm-hmm. in their in their waders and and try and trying to save as many fish as possible, uh, and then that raised the whole the whole awareness about what the what's been actually going. Going on with the flows out of the out of Wikiup Reservoir for decades, mm-hmm. right. yeah. that there, I've seen a change, and 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 I think that you know it, it's slow, uh, and it's not where we want it to be. But but uh, there, you know, at least you're, you're getting the attention of the state uh, in terms of those flows, and 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 paying it, letting them know, let, letting people know that everybody's paying attention now. So, um, Michael, yes, if and, I, uh, excuse me, Gail, if I might just jump in here for, with another thought that to reinforce what Gail has said, uh, you know, about 30 years ago, I wrote a book about the Snake River, which is the Columbia's largest tributary. It's the Mississippi of Idaho. It starts in Wyoming. It serves the entire Snake River Plain, which is very uh, intensively farmed. And the the situation there was, was just remarkably outrageous in that a river as large as the Delaware River on the East Coast was completely diverted at one site, Milner Dam. And uh, so I began to look into the, the, the reasons for that and the outcomes that resulted from that. And, uh, you know, it was this pathetic situation where the, the, the use of the river had been entirely one-sided for 150 years. And the response of exposing that information uh, was really disappointing in that the water users kind of responded with a siege mentality if they didn't want to give up a crumb. And if you criticize them for what was happening there, they they just became uh, incredibly defensive and, and uh, you know, refused to deal at all. And I, I, I think I mentioned before that the Deschutes is kind of a, uh, a hopeful place in this regard because, uh, because that, that's not the only response here. You know, I think that here we've been, we've been through a, a round of criticism. We've been through a round of enlightenment about what the river once was and what has been lost. And uh, hopefully we've moved beyond that uh, to, to a phase where, where many people, people from many different parties are recognizing the value, all the values of the river and the need to, to cooperate to, to restore some of the great wealth that we once had there. So I, I just want to um, harken back to the bucket brigade um, that was so dramatic um, and just note that, that you know, that's something that had been going on for 70 years, but it really, uh, two thoughts about it. One, it illustrates the um, power of the community, um, just like back in the 80s when the 15 dams were stopped, and I'm going to come back to that thought. The other is that we all agree um, that um, saving a few fish um, is, it's just a Band-Aid. At this point, I would say it's sort of good PR and a good way to keep the issue in the spotlight but it really is just a band-aid we just really need to restore the flows of the river so we never have to go be dragging fish out um, with the nets 
I was reminded as you were talking, Tim, um, and I'm, I'm going to paraphrase a quote from Thoreau, uh, Thoreau, how many years ago, 200 years ago now, who seeing the East Coast, the dams and the, um, the, corn, the, the energy production um, and the loss of the fisheries at that time so long ago, he said something along these lines, who hears the fish when they cry? And I hope that our community is hearing them. Um, so I just want to read something from this 1996 management plan. And it, it's the title of this particular page is called Public Participation. But I've subtitled it, given my own title, Our Call to Action. And it says this. Broad-based community support and understanding of the goals of the River Management Plan are essential for essential uh, successful imp implementation of this plan. And so we, it's going to take our community to restore the river. And I want, I want to follow that quickly with um, this plan addresses agriculture, irrigated agriculture, and how um, irrigated ag the things that can be done um, by irrigated ag. And it includes here piping those leaky canals, doing better uh, on-farm, it's called on-farm efficiencies, you know, how water is delivered and managed on the farm. And those two things, those very things, are what our irrigation districts are striving to do now in modernizing their systems. So, you know, earlier thought about how do you restore the river. Well, you restore the river by, in part by piping canals, and making that connection is really critical. As long as I'm hogging the microphone, I want to share one other quote that, um, for me, um, well, in a way, it sort of speaks my heart. Uh, actually, there are two. Um, these are from Rumi. And the first is um, him saying, where there is ruin, there is hope for a treasure. And I see that we've had a lot of devastation on our river, but we can restore it and we can find this treasure again. The other quote from Rumi that I'm going to butcher is uh, along these lines. Um, Beyond the place of right doing and wrong doing, there is a field. I'll meet you there. And so I, in the last several years of my engagement with um, the Deschutes River and irrigation, have tried to look in the mirror and see my own assumptions and and rethink um, in still train, staying true to myself, um, rethink my actions and positions. And um, I'm going to come back to we need our community, we need all, all of us to work together in order to restore our river and to have um, sustainable agriculture in this basin. And Tim, Tim Palmer, you'll be talking about these issues uh, on April 23rd, is that correct? That's right, and, and about the uh, the whole national wild and scenic river system and its history, and you know the reasons for the for for developing it, and and uh, and, and kind of the the problems and policies that have resulted. And that will include slides of some really beautiful f photography that you've done over the That's years. Right, a slideshow of rivers nationwide, including the Deschutes, of course, and those uh, those fifty some odd rivers of Oregon. And you'll have some books for sale there, possibly? Oh, yeah. 
authors always do that, don't they? I know. You have big books to haul around, too. (laughs) These are not little paperbacks that we're talking about. So I I admire you hauling hauling those boxes around. So right now, you know, and I... Not to get too political, but we are we are we do have a, an administration in Washington that is uh, doesn't seem to be too fond of uh, public land, and uh, so I just wanted to know: did, is, is there a sense? Is do you, do you think do you feel that the Wild and Scenic Rivers Act is in any way threatened right now? You know, I don't think so, Michael. The uh, you know it's been a very popular program, and. Um, you know, the, the big target of the Trump administration have been the Obama reforms. Right. And, uh, you know, the, the Wild and Scenic River program was just kind of moving along steadily. There, were, there, there, was no, there were no big uh, kind of new measures taken, and the, those are what really Trump has targeted. And, of course, poor EPA, you know, the whole regulatory side of water and air quality has suffered uh, you know, and, and Wild and Scenic River is not so much affected by that either. So I think that, you know, due to it being a popular program, and uh, we also don't have a lot of conflicts with the oil and gas and coal industries, which are, uh, which have, they're, they're right. big champions in the Trump administration. Mm. So I, you know, I don't think that's really such a problem. And, and uh, of course, those bigger problems are, are troublesome to rivers everywhere, right. and we have to deal with that. But in terms of threats to wild and scenic rivers, I, I don't really see much uh, much of a threat there right now. And Gail, here locally, um, the people you're working with, not not just in the Coalition for the Disuse with the Irrigators, they're all on board with the idea of protecting the, the wild and scenic nature of the river? I haven't heard it explicitly expressed as a positive, but I certainly haven't haven't heard anything negative. And what I see is um, the keen, earnest work being done um, to solve the problems um, and restore the the flows to the river. Um, So I'm going to take... And give a call out to Senator Merkley um, at this point and say that he has been remarkable and tireless in his effort to address the um, the condition of the Upper Deschutes River. He saw that that inspired him to look for um, solutions, and um, as a consequence, he's brought in um, many, many millions of dollars to our watershed to help irrigation districts modernize their system. Let me make another thought here, as long as we've wandered into um, the the legal and political arena. One of the ironies of, I mean, we, we have terrible a terrible way to manage water. We really do. I mean, there's common agreement there. Our prior appropriation, first-in-time, first-in-right system, the way water is managed in most of the West, it needs a lot of changes, and um, we're actually going to be looking at how how we can make some changes within that legal system to enable water to be shared um, with the upper shoots um, with uh, in the winter time um, with the farmers uh, in the Madras area. Um, but one of the ironies of our our water laws and our land use laws are. In order to protect our great land use laws and enforce them, they have inadvertently reinforced the bad water laws. And so that's a, a conundrum um, of, you know, how do we maintain our farmlands um, 
but take you know allow water be to be taken off them. I'll just add this. In central Oregon, we've had, we have a very altered system, not just the river, but the entire ecosystem, our high desert that has now been irrigated for a hundred years. And just to pull that water off that land is the, the desert's not going to back go or the high, the sagebrush step. It won't just return to what it was. You know, so there's a lot of, regardless of what you do, um, there are just a lot of, consequences, impacts. Um, if we want fields of invasive weeds, then we should just go ahead and, and take water off them. Um, so lo- a lot of things to consider. I don't. We've talked about the river and irrigation, but I want to bring us back to our own personal actions. Um, I'm an Aussie. Uh, I've lived in the U.S. for almost 40 years and have um, American citizenship. So I certainly, when I go back to Australia, there's no doubt I'm an American. I identify as an American, but my accent betrays me all the time. But growing up in Australia in an arid climate and experiencing drought, I just think we all, regardless of where we live, we have a responsibility to treat water as a very precious, precious commodity, which of course it is. And to me that says, no, um, be very mindful in our own homes, in our yards, you know, um, Take short showers. Leave the pee in the toilet. It's okay for for a little bit. Flush it next time. Um, And also, you could xeriscape your yard. And that's a segue because I'm a bird lover. And one of the things that's coming under attack from the Trump administration is the, um, the Migratory Bird Treaty Act. And so I think the more we can do locally to conserve water and help our native wildlife, um, that's good. Right on. (laughs) Well, we only have a few more minutes left here. Uh, I do want to remind our listeners that Tim Palmer will be presenting a slideshow uh, and talk on the Wild and Scenic Rivers Act and on the Deschutes on Monday, April 23rd. And that's at Ten Barrel Brewing Company. And that's out on 18th Street, 62950 Northeast 18th Street. Uh, Doors open at 630. The event begins at 7. And Gail, people need to register in advance. Please register. Go to our website. You can find the information or um, just cruise around on Eventbrite and you should be able to find us. Coalitionforthedeschutes.org. Org. That's it. All right. So I look forward to uh, to seeing you over here, Tim. Well, thank you. I'm really looking forward to coming in. i just like to say that, uh, you know, I, I travel all over the country uh, addressing groups about wild and scenic rivers and other river conservation issues. And in Bend and Central Oregon, I think you are very fortunate to have people like Gail and her organization and all those other organizations and people who are concerned about the river and engaged in it. And we're fortunate to have you, Michael, and your program here uh, exposing these issues and providing information to people and uh, it's not that way everywhere, and I think we, we should be really fortunate that we do have that situation here uh, in Bend and in Central Oregon. So thank you all. Well, thank you. And the Coalition for the Deschutes, Gail, if people want to get involved, they can go to the website. You can go grab, to the website. Grab um, a phone number, possibly. Um, you can send an email. Um, let's see. I think we have contact at coalitionforthedeschutes.org. Oh, what the heck. You can email me, gail at coalitionforthedeschutes.org, and it's G-A-I-L. All right. Anything more that either of you want to add? Uh, just to thank you. Good, Michael. Thank you. Yeah. 
All right. All right. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Thanks for listening to this KPOV broadcast. KPOV is community radio for the high desert of Central Oregon. For more information and a program schedule, go to kpov.org. We value your feedback. Drop us a note at podcast at kpov.org.